Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every time I tell somebody I do poetry for a living, they look at me weird. Like they don't believe that it's possible. I tell them that it is. I tell them I don't make my living off giving people reasons to buy a CD. That's crazy. I make my living off giving people reasons to live outside the box, outside the cell block, outside the cubicle. I tell them that a life lived without boundaries is beautiful. I tell them that the body can do whatever the mind chooses to. And I ain't got no illusions of grandeur. I know where my story ends, but yours begins whenever you get ready to move. Want to be a lawyer? Take your ass back to school. You only got a short time on this earth, so while you're here, you better find your niche and work on it like your life depends upon it because tomorrow isn't promised. Failure's not an option. Want to be a dancer? Get it popping. Work your angles like an architect with all your tears, blood, and sweat and disregard the people that'll tell you you're crazy because they too scared or lazy and too complacent to make the necessary changes. This life is about risk. Jumping in with both feet because the answer could be just beneath the surface and the timing ain't never going to be perfect but only 2% of the people on this planet actually do what they want. 60% of the people on this planet work for them. The other 38% are just too far gone. So you better get in where you fit in while you still can. Otherwise, die wondering what could have been. And when you think about it like that, doing poetry for a living makes perfect sense. It puts me in that 2%. I only answer to God. Program managers can't censor my shit. I'm a prophet that prophesies and profits. No gimmicks. I give it to you the same way God gave it to me. The pen is a pistol. The words are a nightstick. I just beat you over the head till you submit. No blue pill, just red. Here's some water. Swallow this. And this ain't about performing. This is two doses of reality. Call me in the morning. This is word is born. This is you better get your piece of the pie before it's gone. This is one part heart, four parts persistence. Cover the pot and let it simmer. Guess who's coming to dinner? Opportunity's knocking. Better pop the lock and let them enter. This is 2005. You can start a business with an internet connection and a laser printer. No excuses. Get on your mission and consider all this the next time you fix your face to ask me what I do for a living. Peace. Welcome to Spoken Word Poetry, the Art, the Industry, the Viability. I'm Jacqueline Taylor Adams. Uh, I am the co-host along with the one and only sweet friend, Sean. How are you today? Hey, peace, everybody. Thank you for having me, Sister Jacqueline. I'm so glad to be here this evening. I see we got an awesome topic tonight. Yes, yes, yes. This is a great topic and a phenomenal guest. Um, This is the art, the industry, the viability, and our goal here is to help create a viable industry for spoken word. So what we mean is that our artists can have the opportunity to live by their art. It doesn't have to be just a few, and we need a few more six-figure niggas out there in spoken word. So, um, But, no, we really need to make it viable, and right now with technology and the Internet, um, opportunities are really boundless, and um, so we need to think differently, to think differently about the industry and about the opportunities. Now, uh, one thing I have learned, you find out a lot of people in spoken word go into theater or part of theater, and maybe it's because they're, you know, automatically storytellers and um 
especially spoken word artists as opposed to just a page poet, you know, they're already more dramatic than, you know, they're apt to the stage. So I guess theater would be, you know, the next level. And I've even found in funding and grants where there, there wouldn't be a spoken word slot or performance poetry slot, but it would either be performance art or theater is where um, spoken word performances would fit under. Mm-hmm. So um, this is just a great topic, and I'm also the marketing director of a theater company. I've been – that's actually how I engaged spoken word artists. That's how I started working with spoken word artists um, through the theater. I was the marketing director for Bushfire Theaters here in Philadelphia, and mm-hmm. – um, we and then later on, a couple of years later, we started our own theater, First World Theater Ensemble, and Maurice Henderson, who Tommy's going to tell you about too. That's how I met Tommy through Maurice Henderson. He was on our board, and um, I met a few artists um, from Atlanta at that time um, through Maurice. And um, you know, the relationship has been ongoing. But um, what I really um, a lot of people do things in theater, but what we really haven't seen is that major super spoken word presence in theaters. Like there's opportunities, they do things, but it's small but not major. And I just think mm-hmm. Tommy Bottoms is the one to really break it. So as we had this conversation, we're going to do our typical interview. We're going to get to know who Tommy is, talk about his art, and all, and then we're going to get into his play. But what I need everyone to think about, and for everyone who's listening live, and for those who will listen on demand and who I send it to specifically, I want producers, and I want spoken word artists. I would really, this this is an opportunity for us to come together to sponsor in our city at least a, a three-day run of the play. Mm, it's that an opportunity, like yeah. To generate revenue while putting spoken word on a new platform, and right. you know, as you get to know Tommy, for those who don't know Tommy, you will understand why he is the one to do this. Um, other than he's a journalist, and there are a lot of opportunities business-wise I can, you know, share with you how you can capitalize, you know, off of this where you can benefit by your brand and financially. But here, with, as part of the Master Grill Project, what we want to do with um, this show is we want to elevate the brand of spoken word. We want people to see it in a new light. So you have an opportunity on a subject matter, and Tommy has a huge following, other than just individual people who like spoken word. He has money people because he's, he's a economist. Tommy's going to tell us. We're going to bring him on because he's here waiting. But he'll tell us. But he has a, the financial community follows him tightly because they're still trying to decipher his vernacular, <laughs> street vernacular <laughs> from basic economics. It just kills me when I go online watching white men trying to decipher the vernacular. But <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But really, because of that, he has a you know a whole financial following and education. He has a, a huge following, so the opportunity is really out there for us to strategically make sure that it's seen in our city and the spoken word community comes together and sponsors this play. So I really want 
people to think about that. So if you're in business, you have an opportunity to brand your business, to, you know, expand your brand, to generate a whole new market, you know, to What's really great businesses about spoken word community, many of the artists host um, events. So their Mm -hmm. following is so much more intimate than you would have on any other level because they may also perform, but they host. So they have these loyal followings locally, and most of them are regionally. So uh, Mm -hmm. almost all of them have regional followings, and they – they host events all the time. So this is such an, uh, a partnership that is just, you know, strategic to, uh, to be able to get a celebrity because they are regional celebrities, you know, at the rate. So, you know, this is something you just really want to keep in mind. And we're going to talk more about that, but we are going to take this moment now to bring Tommy on. Hello, Hello Mr. Tommy. Bottoms. Hello, ladies. How y'all doing? Good. How are you? I am so excited to be online with you because about three years ago when I was just getting started and merely had a vision of some things I wanted to do, you sent me your press kit, and I was so impressed, and I just hadn't been able to figure out how to fit you into my productions yet. So this is really (laughs) good to hear your voice. I have never forgotten. I was like, oh, he got a press kit. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, um, hi, Tommy. I haven't heard talked to you in a while. I mean, been I've known Tommy since the 90s. <laughs> it's been a while. Yes, yes. And um, he's just a phenomenal being outside of being a phenomenal poet, and he's a genius. And I love a beautiful mind. I really do. So I have always been a fan of Tommy's. He's Thank He's you. really Thank a genius. <laughs> I'm just excited. I just want I want to get right down to it. I cannot wait to hear about Educated Gangster One on One. I really want to know what you're doing. Um, with, you know that we have some listeners on the line that don't know who you are. We would like to take this opportunity, use this platform, for you to introduce yourself to everyone, and we're just going to chat and you know we're going to talk about what you know your play slash musical. We're going to talk about how you've come to this point, you know, and then we want to talk about some of the struggles and what we call the ugly that, you know, that is um, you've had to go through to get to this point and why you've chosen to produce and write your own shows, et cetera. Okay. So first, please tell everybody who you are. Uh, my name is Tommy Bottoms. Uh, I am a spoken word artist. Um, originally from uh, Peru, Indiana, um, I, I started my spoken word career in Indianapolis, Indiana, while I was living there. And after about a year performing there, uh, somebody told me I was good at it, <laughs> which I always say was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. Uh, and uh, I decided to make the move to Atlanta. And I've been here uh, for about 12 years now. And um, so this is kind of my home base with spoken word. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel with my art. Um done HBO and things like that, but uh, more importantly, I, I, I feel like I've had the opportunity to um, really engage people with um, my art and, and really my, my thought process and, and my ideology and my view of the world on a real grassroots, um, hand-to-hand um, kind of platform. And 
and I've enjoyed that. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And I think when you talk about the people who follow um, Tommy or whatever, and I think a big part of that is um, I'm a little, particularly here in Atlanta anyway, I'm, I'm a little bit everywhere. People see me in the poetry spot, but they just also just see me out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Different places in and I'm not afraid. You know, I like I like to talk, especially when we gonna talk about something. So, like I so that's that's the opportunity. I think you know, um, spoken word, as you said, the industry of the industry of spoken word has allowed me to do is just to engage people and uh, and be part of the conversation. You know what I'm saying? All mm-hmm. all movements, all these all these things that we've known through the years, whether it was Marcus Garvey or or Dr. King or Malcolm X, all these people started from a grassroots level. You know That's what I'm right. Saying? Conversation at the most grassroots on the individual, the, from the literally the each one teach one. You know what yes, I'm saying? And, and and that's that's what I think spoken word has allowed me to do. That's awesome. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear that. And what I want you to you know expound upon, I think Jackie touched base about it a little bit, and I find that the case with me, you know. I created productions based on what I wanted to see in my town without having to travel so much. And, you know, I'm in Wilmington, Delaware. You're in Atlanta, and the scene has always been a little bit more progressive than Mm -hmm. here. Um, But even with that, you know, I have some people I know have moved to Atlanta and are enjoying the poetry outlets and the scene there. But what do you have to say to those artists who are, like you said, when you were in Indiana and smaller towns who are trying to get – started or try to, you know, trying to do poetry on some level, what advice would you give to them? Well, um, I, I would always say, you know, you got to believe in yourself and and, and bigger than, and then past believing in yourself, just believe in the craft. Um, because wherever you are, um, there are people who are looking for what you, this thing, and it might not necessarily be poetry, but when I say this thing, this thing that's outside of the mainstream of what we get every day from love and hip hop and what's on the radio and true religion jeans and that whole thing, um, there's people who are looking for that. You know what I'm saying? They just don't know where to find it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So as a promoter or a producer, it's your job to to create something for like-minded people in these in right. these areas where. That you know, a, a Philadelphia is going to kind of naturally have those kind of places, or DC or Atlanta. But when you're in Indianapolis, or you're in, you know, what I mean, Springfield, Ohio, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a right. little different, you know what I'm saying? But those people are there, you know what I'm saying? And so it's up to you, if you're, you know, as the visionary. To understand that those are there are people who are just like you don't know where because you get that here in Atlanta, you know what mm. I mean? Yeah, there's, there's a scene here, but there's people who are here who are looking for it. They just have no idea where to start looking. Got you know you. what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's that that that's the thing. Just know that the people are there, and, and it might be a harder sell, and you might have to work a little bit harder. You know, you might have to start at the two or three people that's just coming out. And, that's right. And that's right. Getting, and, and just believe in it, you know what I'm saying? And and you know, before you know it, six months a year later, you you build a whole other monster. But a lot That's of times, right. people don't want the work part of it. So it's yeah, they don't it, want the work part of. It. They just want to create. Yeah. Let me, 
and I, I want to say this to artists, especially poets. I don't care what your art is. I don't care if you're a hip-hop artist, you're a singer, you are a spoken word artist, a poet. You know, the it's fortunate for me. I see it as opportunity, but some people see it as unfortunate that when you're in certain areas, like like Tommy Bottoms just said, even if you're in a, a larger town, sometimes you got to create what you want to see, what you where you want to be. But with that, you don't get the opportunity to just to just perform. You have to do all the work. I was not, and I didn't even know what a producer and a promoter was when I got started. All I wanted was a space to create the con, because I'm not a slam poet, to create a space that embraced various genres of performance poetry. That's all I wanted. I found the chief spot. I talked someone to let me in, and. It has since evolved. I also do a thing now called Soul Opera. It's not a musical, but we call it telling stories of love and life using poetry, music, and song. Very Broadway worthy is what I'm discovering. So it's an evolution, but I've been doing it a long time. So I have new poets are coming up on the scene now, and I tell them, it's okay if you want to start an open mic scene. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What kind of people you want there? But you've got to be willing to do the work. And from that, I ended up writing, directing. It just began to stretch me and stretch me. And now, um, you know, I am one of the four, I'm on the forefront of every poetry and cultural scene that happens in Wilmington. And I'm thankful for it, but also by being a visionary and being on the forefront, you're going to take the largest hit. It's going to be the most work for people like like us. You're not going to always be able to just perform. you got to wear various hats like any entrepreneur. So... I want to encourage those who are listening that understand that is well worth it. And with that being said, I see this. Every time I see the title, I get excited. Please, please, Tommy Bottoms, tell us more about Educated Gangster 101, a spoken word hip-hop musical. Tell me what I can expect when I see it. Uh, well, that's the one thing I will say. It is nothing like you've seen before. Um, and... With that being said, that was when we when we when we put this thing together, um, myself, you know, and and every the, the rest of the cast, and we were, you know, rehearsing, and it was it's a it's you know anytime you put something out in front of people, you never know how people are going to respond. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Something brand new, and people pretty much said I didn't if I would have knew what I was coming to see, I would have brought my nephews and my, and my little cousins, because really what it is is it, it transcends generation. And, it, and mm. basically outside of the, the, the format itself, uh, I think we put together a really dope format. But beyond that, what I think people are really drawn to is the content and the, and the conversation that we're having. And, it, and basically Educated Gangster is a conversation about Hip hop and black culture, and, and 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 having an honest discussion about these things, about the evolution of hip hop, the evolution of black culture over the last generation, last generation and a half, and where we are and where we're going. You know, what mm. I'm saying? sometimes that that conversation can be brutal, but what we do is we add a little humor to that. There's a there's right. you know with the characters and everybody, so there's sugar with the medicine. So it's not just a hundred percent medicine. You're getting a lot of sugar with it too. You know what I'm saying? That okay. comes from the, the the funny parts that are in there, the the comic parts, and through the through the acting parts, and then the spoken word. 
uh, everybody we're using on the play are accomplished artists, you know what I'm saying? So, like, like I, a lot of people just looked at it when they first came out to the show was, I don't know what it is, but if these people don't do nothing but do two hours of poetry, it's going to be good, you know what I'm saying? That's because right, that's right, because they know you because you've seen created a yeah. scene, okay. Because so, I see you got Teresa the Songbird in an email. You got you got um, Red Summer is actually directing it, and Malika yeah. Lam and every Tamika Harper, yeah. all those people. Even yeah. though I haven't met them directly, just being on the poetry scene between Wilmington and Philadelphia, I know their work. So yeah. that's so awesome to hear. So tell me though, you you talked about the content. How when is it taking place? I know it was May third. Tell us the time and location for those who can come out and take this opportunity to see you right now in Atlanta. Well, we're going. We are, it, the, the show is May third, and it's at Center Stage, which is a very, very nice venue here. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a step up in venue, particularly with spoken word and what the particular type of art we're doing. Um. You know, uh, uh, a good friend of mine, LaJoyce Littell, she, she's done a few poetry events there. Um, but poetry's kind of rare in Center Stage. Center Stage is kind of a big boy venue where you get, um, like when Lauren Hill, you know, Lauren Hill might do a show, a little small show. It would be a small show for her. You know what I'm saying? She might do something at Center Stage or Lettucey or, right. you know, that kind of, that, that caliber of artist. Uh, not just that, but then you you got the rock bands that come through, and it's a very it's a very good venue. And like I said, that what we in, in base we're basing that off of. Um, we did the premiere show February eighth at uh, the Port of Sanford uh, Performing Arts Center, which is in um, Decatur, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, which holds five hundred seats, and we we sold that out. And awesome! So how many so does we, the current venue hold? Uh, this one holds nine hundred and five seats. And, okay, um, everybody, did you hear that? Spoken yeah. Word is in a 900-seat venue. Yeah. How huge is that for the business? Yeah. That's huge yeah. for Spoken Word. And we and we basically based that off of just the response. The people were like, we want to see it again, and I want to bring my, 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 my nephew, who's a knucklehead, or who just doesn't mm-hmm. get this. You know, right. he's 17, he just doesn't get it, but he'll listen to this because it's, it's cool. It's still hip. It's got the hip hop and the music with it. Um, so it's like I said, it's not a it's it's not a hundred percent medicine. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot mm-hmm. of entertainment with it as well. So when you're getting, you know, you're getting this really nice storyline, this really nice poetry, and this really strong social message. And the, the the and the social message is very strong, although it's not hitting you over the head like, okay, I get it. You know, pull my pants up. I get it. Okay, I heard it a million times. But we have mm-hmm. these conversations about who we are. You know what I'm saying? And, and basically, the conversation is recognizing that this new generation of 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 who we are. You know, if you're born after 1970, you're part of this crack generation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we address our issues from understandably we address them from a pre-1968 mentality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because, because Jim Crow and struggle and slavery and segregation, all these things are so closely tied to who we, to black identity. So yeah. now we're swimming into this world now of this, this whole new thing. This is the post-Jim Crow generation now. 
this is a, we are the first generation, at least us who are like myself, born shortly after 1970, we're the first generation that doesn't know the first, we've never experienced any of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. But we, what we did experience is crack. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And crack hit our community really hard. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It changed how we deal with each other. It changed our. It changed the slang. It changed the dress. It influenced the music. It influenced mm-hmm. so much in our culture that now we've got to start addressing this new thing now. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and and so it's about having that conversation about the awesome niggas out here. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And we got to mm-hmm. really address and stop running from this idea that we got to bury the word. No, we've really got to have this conversation about what we're dealing with out here. And we're dealing That's with right. a crack mentality, and and, and, it's, and, and, I, and I bring that up, and I, and I know I'm being long-winded, but I'll make this last little point. No, it's but all it, good. But the, 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 the um, kind of the, 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 the foundation of, of the play is, is the idea of hip-hop, as far as when it started out, was it was a party message, but it was also this social-cultural message as well. African mm-hmm. bambolas, they were gangsters, but they yeah. were all saying, you know what, we need a different way to do this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They were all, all the people part of that movement were knuckleheads, but they were mm-hmm. smart enough to realize this isn't the way to go. So let's break this. And they come up with these new art firms, these, this new art form called hip-hop as an outlet so we ain't carrying around pistols and shooting at each other. Uh, right. You know what I'm saying? And then this album came out called... Straight out of Compton. That's you know, right. <laughs> which was changed. It was the most revolutionary album changed hip hop, mm-hmm. and I say it's the most influential album in hip hop because what, what happened was, you know, fuck the police was a social political message. That's, that's it was Black Panther stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's How right. they dressed and everything was just an evolution of what Black Black Panther started in Oakland. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But then when Ice Cube left that group. You know what I'm saying? He put out America's Most Wanted, which was, in which I said, what we talk about is that's the blueprint for what educated yeah, gangsters was. You know what okay, I'm saying? Good, that's good. Mm-hmm. But what happened was in the left of the group, N.W.A. went out and put niggas for life out, which was just nigga, 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 bitch, bitch, bitch. Everything that the media focused on was straight out of Compton. The rest of N.W.A. said, well, we'll just give you a whole bunch of that because it seems that's what y'all like. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's the blueprint hip-hop has followed for the last 25 years, niggas for life. Now, what would mm-hmm. hip-hop look like if we followed America's Most Wanted? If hip-hop looked like America's Most Wow, Wanted, that's, that's huge. That's a great concept. You know what I'm saying? What would it look like? What would it sound like? But what we've done is listen to niggas. We've done niggas for life. But mm-hmm. that business that model is what's been used for the last 25 years. And that's, that's our fault. That's huge. Yes, I fault, but that's huge. Yeah, so that's the conversation. That is a huge conversation, and you're right, because, oh, ma'am, I got a 19-year-old, my kids, my sons, I have sons, okay, and one daughter, Mm -hmm. 19 to 23, you know? And when I, you know, and I'm pretty cool. I know things, and I love music, and I love love hip-hop, you know, and so... Mm -hmm. When I hear some of the stuff they listen to, I'm like, well, what are they? T- what are y'all talking? Y'all ain't said nothing. You haven't yeah. said a word. But you're right. Now that you've made that connection, distinct distinction for me, I can very well see. You're right. What would it be like if we had followed? We, we, instead of that blueprint, we followed this blueprint. 
what would our kids be like? What would what would this group of young people be like? That is so huge. I think that's awesome and fabulous that you're using, you know, play slash musical to 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 do this, and you're using hip hop and spoken word or mostly hip hop. Well, it's it's spoken. I mean, poetry because you know it's still spoken word. Hip hop, spoken word, the same to me. So yeah, but some people like to distinguish the two. Um, so you got any uh, poetry? I guess my question would be any poetry in it that is does not 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 as much hip hop base and influence or cadence to it. And the hip hop, although there are some hip hop songs in it, you know, hip hop plays a big part of it as far as there's a lot. Cause we have a live DJ as as well as a live band and a DJ, and mm-hmm. when we give that evolution musically and in the poetry, and I like to think of it is that as far as our cast, though we are spoken word artists, we're all from that hip hop kind of swagger, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we are. I mean, I mean, it, it's it's all intertwined. It's all yeah. evolutionary. I mean, it's all intertwined. We come, we you know, people say, I say, I, I the only reason I say that is because I don't want people to think that they're not intertwined. That spoken word, spoken word to me, whether it sounds like hip hop to you or whether it sounds like someone just speaking over poetry to me, I describe it like this. It's like a genre. It's genres of music. So therefore. Sometimes it takes on a different flow or different cadence. That's all. No more, no less. You know, but it's still all spoken word to me. So, I, 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 I oftentimes have discussions around that. But with that being said, you know, I'm sorry that I just from my, the producer in me is just loving the idea that you're in a 900 seat venue. So congratulations to you and all your team for that huge success. Because I don't even know if our listeners realize how huge that is. Like I'm in a live music venue for my set. You know. And where it has a stage and it's set up for a lot, it's really set up for rock bands, you know. But mm-hmm. and my events um, in a venue that is not is so atypical for spoken word, and therefore we get a lot of people that get to, to attend that not necessarily are spoken word fans, so to speak. So, exactly. are you finding with educated gangster that you are getting people? who are not just followers of hip-hop or spoken word, but just are coming because it's so different, because word is spreading. And even the fact that you're in a 900-seat venue and it's at that location, you might be getting some new people that are outside your typical network. Tell us more about, you know, the basis of those who are attending. And tell us, if you don't mind going, i I got so much to ask you, I get excited. Tell us also um, more about the character of Dr. Ugly. So I want to hear about from the okay. business side, then I want to hear about the creative side pretty much. Well, so the, the the good part about the cast is um, the, the cast itself, like I said, everybody has their own individual followings. And mm-hmm. with that being said, a lot of, a lot of like a Malik Salam or a Cola Rum, they already have that following of people who don't really – for lack of a better word, fuck with poetry. You know what I'm saying? I don't mess with that, <laughs> right, right. but I like you. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. So, so with that, that was that's the blessing that that um that we have with with the production is that everybody kind of already appear uh, appeals to a crowd that doesn't necessarily that aren't necessarily in the you know coming to the to the open mic on Thursday night or whatever it might be. Right, but, right. You know, so this, so it's already kind of that built, you know, built in, outside of the norm kind of audience, 
And um, mm-hmm. because everybody on that, everybody on the cast at one time has made their name in performing in the hood joint. I, when I first got here, I was, I was performing in rap venues and winning, and I was the only poet in there. You know what I'm saying? Right. And everybody in here, everybody on that cast can tell the exact same story over the years where you went in there and you had to prove people that you were you were worthy of sitting at the table. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. people, you know, people are like, yeah, the second they hear you do poetry, there's an automatic wall that goes up. You know what I'm saying? Right. But with that, you know, you walk in there and you do what you do. So by the time you get into a poetry venue, you're going to be a monster because now you, you've been working out with all these bars and in loud environments. Now when I go in somewhere where it's just people who wait to hear it, well, now you're on steroids because you've been, you've been, you know, <laughs> been on other stuff. And now when you go into a place that is ready to receive it, now you right. you in there. You know what I'm saying? You had to put and in work, so it made you good. You had to put in the work. Yeah, yeah. And as far as the character Dr. Ugly, um, He's an interesting guy. He is uh, basically he is a kind of a weird, eccentric guy who uh, who's a professor, um, so to speak, at this fictional university called uh, Nat Turner Institute of Technology. And <laughs> what he does is uh, he likes to intervene in people's lives. And basically, what he likes he runs these experiments where he likes to, um, for example, what if you, one of the points he makes is, uh, is what if you had the opportunity to talk to Tupac before he hooked up with Shug Knight? You know mm. What if you had the opportunity to have this conversation, you know, before, and that's what Dr. Ugly, because he has, the, and then he has these multiple personalities that are played out by different characters on the stage. Like, for example, um, one of my personalities is named Malcolm Farrakhan, who, or excuse me, Dr. Ugly's personality is <laughs> Malcolm Farrakhan, uh, who's played by Malik Salam. And Malcolm Farrakhan is kind of a, you know, a, a, a nerdy, militant know-it-all, you know what I'm saying, kind of full of himself. And then he has another personality called um, a pimp named Felonious Nigga, who's kind of <laughs> like everything that you think about when you think about uh, niggas. <laughs> right, I heard that, I heard that. This is so, awesome. Uh, this is awesome. So that's kind of, but that's basically the basic idea of Dr. Ugly. He's, he's attempting, his, his thing is he wants to socially re-engineer the new nigga for the new millennium. And that's, that, that's his goal. And, uh, and he does that by having these meetings and these interventions uh, with people who think will be one day influential. And, right. and uh, that, who you know, before they get out here, they don't necessarily know how huge they're going to be one day. So he's having this conversation about their responsibility um, to, uh, to their audience, so to speak. Wow, I am so excited and proud of you guys. You just don't understand. It's like I went and paid $65 to see a play called Sisters in New York on um, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it was, at, it was seated about 200. 
theater was dang near falling apart. This show had been running for three years at $65 a seat, two shows a weekend, you know? Mm. All I can think about is, like, I know some productions that are far better than this, you know? And, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that we got to recognize one of the, since we're talking about the ugly truth, one of the things that people can't be afraid to do, just like any artist, I'm telling you, any artist, it doesn't matter what they're in, you have to build a name for yourself locally. And mm-hmm. in your case, when you built, in my case too, I've built a team and have been fortunately fortunate to build a team around me who are committed to the journey, who have built names for themselves and their specific um, gift. And so mm-hmm. I think that helps. And that the ugly truth about it, people, is that you got to work. I think that's the bottom line is you got to put in the work. You got to get people who are committed to rehearsing. You got, you know, who, tell me this. This You executive produced the show as well? Uh, for lack of a better word, yes. I mean, I, I like to think of it, everybody pulling. This is a, a group project, you know what I mean? But as far mm-hmm. as the person driving, you would probably say it's me, but it is definitely a group effort. Awesome. So mm-hmm. one of the things that um, I find that artists are scared of or get frustrated about is that part, is, you know, securing a venue, um, negotiating how they're going to pay, you know, being responsible for filling mm-hmm. the seats. Tell us some of the ugly part of the business side of things to get you to this point, and what what was your lesson? What was the reward? Well, um, we've all been doing shows. Over, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years. This isn't necessarily my first production, first time doing something of this size um, as far as the production um, and, and the complexities with that. That's probably the hardest part um, that, you know, when you're dealing with um, six cast members, a director, and a, a live band, and a DJ, and drummers. It's a lot of people to coordinate, a lot of different schedules to coordinate. And so that that's probably the most difficult part uh, as far as trying to just pull it together as far as rehearsals and, and promos and things like that. Um that that's probably the hardest thing, but you know, getting the venue, um, you know, promoting for it, uh, those things we, you know, all of us, everybody involved has done, you know, thrown their own shows before. It's just more of a group effort, so we're just kind of doing more of the same. We, you know, what we've already done is trying to expand past our typical audience. But I probably say the most difficult part is just when you got, you know five or six people who are working people who are traveling and doing shows and just living, you know, life, you know what I'm saying? Right. Just, yeah, just life, you know what I mean? And family responsibilities and work, you know, job responsibilities. So, it, you know, coordinating all those type of things and, and trying to make everybody, you know, um, you know, you know, where nobody's feeling like they're being left out or, you know, because everybody plays an important role. So, you know what I'm saying? So um, I think that's probably been the most difficult part. Okay. So licensing, is all the work in the production original, or uh, did you have to get some, require, get some licensing um, to do some of the pieces? Well, everybody involved is doing, you know, we have the, 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 the overall storyline, and then we have, people doing individual poems that they've already, people probably already familiar with. 
the only thing that we're probably, you know, getting into some legal issues is <laughs> some of the music, you know what I mean? But I mm-hmm. feel that by the time they come asking, <laughs> that means uh, we've already got to a certain point anyway. That's what I'm talking about. People, go ahead and do it, right? Right. Yeah, well, I hear you. If Jay-Z, by the time Jay-Z, find, if he finds out about this, we using something, then by all means, we'll have that conversation. But that, mean, that just means we got a certain level. So that's right. That's, that's I'm right. glad that I'll be glad. I'll be glad when Jay Z says, "Take my music out," <laughs> <laughs> or, well, or, or cut me a check or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? And, and, and the beauty of right. it is, everybody is creative enough that even you know, coming up with the original that that those things that we're using that we quote unquote probably need permission for are just things that connect with people from a familiar point of view as we tell this story, but it's nothing because everybody's created. We can, it ain't nothing just to, 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 to fill that gap. You fill know what I'm gap. saying? That's awesome. So I'm not, nobody's, we're, that, we're really not, if somebody says pull this, we can easily replace it with something else that's quote-unquote original and will still convey the same thing. But me personally, you know what I mean, I think, you know, and, and, that, and that might be me being a little bit more uh, optimistic. I would like to think that the story we are telling is profound enough and relevant enough that they would be proud to say, okay, I'm glad my, my work is part of this. You know what I'm saying? Because you've taken my work and putting it in a different, you know, uh, and I, I'm probably saying it's even, I don't know why I said Jay-Z, because Jay-Z is really not that big. He actually plays no part of it. It's more... Um, the, the conversation is more as far as, you know, it's Ice Cube and Public Enemy, these people who I feel are more, or, you know, in early shaping forms of what we know as the, is modern hip-hop, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to think Chuck D would be proud of the work. You know what yeah, I mean? Chuck so, D. It sounds like to me Chuck D would be very proud yeah, of the work. And it might just be business for him. It might He might be proud of the work, but he still has to make a business decision. And I, I yeah, know right. that's neither here nor there. But I like to think that the the you know we show everybody in a fair and positive light you know or, or a fair light you know sometimes the criticism might be warranted you know what I'm saying but I don't think it's I think it's you know I don't think anybody can look at it from an objective point of view and feel that we're throwing anybody under the bus I think it's an accurate an accurate portrayal of of the evolution and awesome. and like I said so I, I I you know if if they have a problem with it. You know, we're here down the line or whatever it may be. We'll have that discussion then. But I've kind of grown accustomed to, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. You know what I mean? That's right. So. There you go. Say that one more time, Tommy Bottoms, because I don't think better. you heard. Say it one more time. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Sometimes. That's right. My grandmother used to say it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> she used to say it all the time. So we're talking about, you well, know, as you know, you know with uh, – Master Grid Radio, that uh, Jackie, you know, has, is just such an awesome, Jackie Taylor Adams has been so awesome in making sure that she creates platforms so we can talk about various things about spoken word and to grow the the public image specifically about spoken word. Some of the things that um, we'd like to talk about is the viability, the viability, what kinds of things that people can do to create income for themselves and opportunities. So um, I know that we talked a lot. We've been talking about your play specifically. 
we talked about some of your history when you were just doing them in all, you know, just performing at all kinds of um, venues. Tell tell the listeners, you know, any ideas, any inspiration, any encouragement, or or um, explore a little bit for us. What are some other things you think opportunities in um, spoken word that artists can take advantage of or create for themselves to maximize or to um, create some sort of independence momentum for themselves? Well, excuse me, um, Tommy. Tommy. Mm-hmm. Okay, excuse me, honey. I I, I just yeah. wanted to just to help shape this a little bit. Um, first, do you live by your art? Is this how you eat? Yeah, for the last. If you you know, eating is a relevant word, but uh, <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better word, yeah. And that's what I was getting ready to get into. Um, yeah, that's what I wanted to uh, And some of the auxiliary things that you do, you know, I mean, like you do spoken word, but you're also um, your columnist well, this, and, you know. Yeah, the thing that I would say is, well, first and foremost, if, we, if this is Tommy Bottoms giving advice on the, the occupation of spoken word, the first thing I would say is don't, take it on as an occupation. <laughs> that would be the first thing I would say. Uh, but then at the same time, if you feel you're going to do it, then, you know, that's, you know, what you're going to do. And then so the second piece of advice I would say is to practice your craft. Because, mm. see, what happens in, in spoken word is too many people put the financial part of it the occupation, the business part of it before they've worked on their craft. You know what I'm saying? That's the most important part because if you don't have a product to sell, you're just wasting your time. Because what will happen is perfect your craft and you and you create a product that people, that there's a demand for, all those things will fall in the line. You know what I'm saying? As far as you eating off your art. You know what I'm saying? So what happens is you get a lot of people who really at the end of the day, they hate their job and they're looking for something that they already love to do, which is nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? But they do poetry for two or three months. They get a couple of hand claps, maybe a standing ovation, and they're ready to chuck it all in. And that's probably not the best idea to do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I would I would encourage most people, 95% of people, would to maintain some type of full or part-time employment, whatever it works for you, uh, until you get to a point where your art can sustain your lifestyle. And because what, it, it, it's, it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult. And it's very competitive. And it, it's just what I, I've seen a lot of people who jumped in it who really should have jumped in it. And just because their, their talent, their, their talent level, or their skill level doesn't create the demand necessary to eat off of your art, and it's hard to tell anybody what if you're good enough to eat. You know what I mean, there's no way to, to tell that, but or even to explain because you know, because at the end of the day, you have to believe in your art. You know what I'm saying? So even when people are telling you, it's kind of the gift and curse of it. The same thing that makes Michael Jordan great is the same thing that makes him stay too long in the league after his prime. You know what I'm saying? The same thing that made Ali great still makes him fight when he's punch drunk. He shouldn't be in the ring. 
You know what I'm saying? So the same thing that will give you the drive to want to do it, as far as smoke world, be also the same thing that makes you starve out here. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, with that said, you know, there are a lot of avenues. Probably the most financially lucrative avenue is through um, the college circuit. Uh, that's where you guaranteed money and the checks are pretty good. Um, now, the competition for that is, is pretty high because a lot of times when you go to these conferences, you're not just competing with poets. You're competing with all forms of entertainment. So you can't just, so it's not it's not good enough to be a good poet. You have to be a good entertainer. You know what I'm saying? So, because you're going to be competing with jugglers, singers, comedians, uh, people who play the cello, whatever it is, they all go to these conferences. NACA, ACA, a whole bunch of different these uh, organizations that hold conferences that where they bring in all the college students in a particular region to basically look for talent to come to the school because every school has a budget just for entertainment. That's part of their tuition. They might take $5 per student, you know what I mean, that they have to spend every semester. So sometimes you see a school, they might bring in Rick Ross or they might bring in Georgia Me, or they might bring in, you know, some guy, little local rock band or whatever it may be. They've got this money they have to spend. You know what I'm saying? So, and then you can do the independent route through colleges too, which is a lot of what I've done. And you just perform in a lot of places and you're going to run into college kids who say, hey, I want you to come to my school. I'm the head of this. You know what I'm saying? And then you build those relationships. Um, but that's probably the most lucrative way you can make money. Um, you also have your product, you know what I mean, is another way. And you've got to have good professional quality product, you know, particularly when you're in a city like a Philadelphia or Atlanta where the stakes are a lot higher. So you get a lot of people who might come from a, let's say, I don't know, Columbia, South Carolina, for you know, for whatever you know, I'm just naming the city. Well, the standard of what's good there may not mean nothing in Atlanta. Like you might put out a magazine that's you know, that's you know, pretty popular there. But if you come to Atlanta with it, and it's not glossy and it's not doesn't have a certain look to it, people are gonna look down and like, what the hell is this? you know what I'm saying, or a CD, or whatever it is, you have to start thinking professional quality. You can't come you can't come down here with your CDs, with your marker, and your name written on it. People are going like, I don't want that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I would probably, the, the, the most important thing is never give nothing away. I see too many people giving their product away because they think it's some exposure. Always sell your product and sell it for a premium amount. Don't sell it for no two dollars or no dollar. All your because nobody will listen to it and nobody cares about free stuff. If you give somebody a free CD, you know what you just gave them a coaster. <laughs> They're just gonna leave it exactly where they sat. <laughs> Not gonna take it home. Sure. <laughs> if they spend ten dollars on it. At the very yeah. least, we're going to see if it works. There's, there's people, people want to, people who will buy, and the reality of it is the majority of the people who buy your CD will never listen to it anyway. They're only supporting you. You know what I'm saying? 
they're supporting what you, they're supporting what they just saw on the stage. You touched them in a certain kind of way, and I recognize that you need support as an artist, and they will purchase you. And that's why I say you have to first and foremost get your craft tight. You know, what I'm saying? and that takes a lot of time. It doesn't happen in two months. Two, and I see that happen so much here in Atlanta. Because you know, and because it, it, Atlanta's become like this Black Hollywood, so there's a lot of that lights, camera, action, celebrity mentality, and people do it two or three months. They're like, you know, oh, how come I ain't getting paid yet? Well, you only, you know, you got one poem. <laughs> Can you do thirty minutes? Can you do fifteen minutes? You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing. Can you do? You know, people think just because they got one hot poem that they can sustain them. You can you go when you go to a college, and this is what this is why I say you know it's important to practice your craft. You got to go to a college. You got to do an hour, at the minimum forty five minutes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. One good poem is not going to do it. You've got to know how to talk to a crowd. You got to know how to engage the people, the, the people. You know, and all that comes with practice. And what happens, and why why a lot of colleges aren't in the booking poets anymore, because of Deaf Poetry Jam. And what happened with Deaf Poetry Jam is you had a lot of artists on that who did the show who weren't really, they had one good poem, but they're really just an accountant. You know what I'm saying? I had a poem, and I had an opportunity to get on TV. Deaf Comedy Jam, all those people were comedians trying to be comedians. You see what I'm saying? On Deaf Comedy, on Deaf Poetry Jam, you just had a lot of these people who were just, I just had a good poem, and they, they selected me. So what happened was when these colleges started booking poets based off of what they saw on Deaf uh, Poetry Jam. TV, mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like, well, this guy's got that one poem, but the rest of this thing sucked. And so they were like, I'm not Gary Gibbs. You know, so, so what ended up happening, that became the reputation of the Deaf Poets. With the colleges, like I'm not Gary, spend no money on that. The last guy we brought in, people walked out on him. You know what I'm saying? Because all, but we bought, we we got him in here off of that one joint we've seen on HBO. You know what I'm saying? So it's about practicing your craft, and you gotta be willing to get into a lot in front of a lot of different audiences. See, that's there's a whole craft in just knowing how to who, what to do when you get up there, because every poem ain't gonna work in front of every audience. You gotta know that. You gotta that's a craft in itself, knowing what to do to look at look out in the audience and see what type of people you're dealing with. You know what I'm saying? Because everything you do ain't gonna win in some audiences. And you as an artist have to be able to as a, a, a working artist, a full time artist, you gotta go in there and recognize that. Because heaven forbid you are eight hours from home and you up there doing the wrong poems. You know what I'm saying? And you need this money to get home. You know what I mean, and that's a reality. You show me, you show me somebody out here who's done this from a Talon Macy to a Queen Sheba. I, I guarantee they've had that experience. Where you like, woo, this wasn't a good night. I chose the wrong poem, and that's real. Yeah. But you got, but those are the things you got to be willing to. Those are the things you will have to. They're gonna make you better, but are you gonna quit after that? Or you know what I mean? It's 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 a it's a process to being an art, a, a full-time artist, as far as, in my opinion. And I see far too many people just say, I want to do it now, 
because I want to do it, not necessarily because the demand is there. The demand needs to be there first and foremost before you even think of doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't tell people you're the prophet. The people choose the prophet. Yeah. Martin Luther King didn't go out there and tell everybody, I'm the leader. No, the people chose him as the leader. Do you see what I'm Tommy. saying? Malcolm X didn't go out there and say, I'm the leader. The people chose him. Hey, Tommy, before you move yeah. on, because you always have so much good, but before we start streaming live, I want you to give out your contact information. How do people reach you? Um, if they want to come to Atlanta and to see the play, um, you know, how do they order tickets? Yeah. Um, if you they want to do a group, all of that kind of stuff, what do, you, what do they need you to do? If you want to get tickets, you can go to Ticketmaster.com. Um, if you are already in the Atlanta area um, and you don't want to do the Ticketmaster service charge, you can always go to the center stage box office. Um, and, of course, tickets will be on sale at the, you know, the night of the event. Um, uh, but if you want to contact me, we have our website up. You can go to educatedgangster101.com. Um, you can hit us on our Facebook, which everything, all our social media is Educated Gangster 101. Uh, you can hit me up individually, Facebook, and all that kind of stuff, Tommy Bottoms. Yeah, it's, you know, just the same thing. Like I say, if it's nothing else, if all else fails, just Google and it. Twitter, and Twitter. Um, what's yeah. your Twitter? My Twitter is actually the only thing that's different. It's still, my Twitter is still uh, Ugly Truth Radio. Okay. Um, I haven't changed that. That's good. Um, Alrighty, so I'm going to make sure I put all of that in, but everybody, make sure you get that Ticketmaster for tickets. Now, if people are, you know, may want to do a trip there, mm-hmm. is there anybody, like, coordinating travel or anything, anybody, you know, working at that point? They may want to get a group down, group rates, all of that? Actually, I'm work- I, have, um, I haven't done that yet, but I have had some interest in it. Um, okay. So I will probably put that out this week. Uh, I haven't exactly decided what that's going to be. Um, uh, I actually talked to the Ticketmaster people just last week to find out what I needed to do. Uh, so I just got to figure out what it's going to do. But I still got a lot of people to pay. So <laughs> I don't want to discount myself out there. <laughs> Where people are like, yo, you should have been selling tickets before I still need my money. There's a big production. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, but people bring in 20 or more folk, you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, definitely, definitely, because actually yeah, we that, are that, having that. That's what I mean, people, when people, yeah, people coming yeah. down for a trip, they put, I'm yeah, talking about definitely. somebody bringing a bus or, you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. We, um, yeah, yeah, that's the first thing you always want to do. As many groups as you can get in there that, yeah, you know, yeah. cover your costs. Oh, definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. Um, we, um, cause we have a lot of people that will be coming from also, if I could throw this in there, um, we, the, the uh, Educated Gangster 101, the, the, the play is also the grand finale of my homegirl and good friend of mine, Tamika Harper, who was uh, on the show. She has a, an event called the Tamika Festival. Um, okay. the, the city of Atlanta has actually designated May 4th as Tamika Harper Day. She has, I don't know, I don't know any other one, but I think she may be the only spoken word artists in the country that actually has her own day, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. that's actually sanctioned by the mayor of Atlanta, um, and actually it's in, in three different counties. Actually, it's Fulton County, which is Atlanta, I believe Clayton, uh, Clayton County, and DeKalb County as well. Um, but she has her own day sanctioned by the city of Atlanta. Uh, so every year for the last six years, this will be the sixth one, uh, she puts on an event called the Tamika Fest, 
um, which is an amazing event this year. Actually, this year they're going to be honoring Black Ice. Um, okay. At a, yeah, on Friday, which will be May 2nd, um, she has an event. One of the events is called Nigga Eyes Night, and they will be uh, honoring Black Ice and um, a gentleman by the name of Malachi, who is a uh, part of the Dungeon family. He's a Atlanta uh, underground legend uh, here in the city. So they'll be honoring Black Ice and um, and uh, my man Malachi. On, uh, and then the day before, they'll be honoring Justin Pierre Moore. Uh, so, so for the spoken word enthusiasts, I'm sure they know who Jessica is. Uh, they'll be honoring her and uh, one of the local uh, community activists here. Her name is Abel Mabel. So if you're in town, definitely try to make it to Tamika Fest. And, and that Educated Gangster is kind of the, the grand finale of a, of, of a week full of events that's part of the Tamika Fest. I know it may, may be a little close, but for those that aren't, like, two hours away, like I have family in South Carolina, Greenville and all, y'all only two hours away, and Lord knows y'all need something to do. So, <laughs> uh, you know, get, get the whole town together. Y'all can go probably from Spartanburg through Greensville and come up with a group. And y'all just, you know, head on down. I, there, and, there's, you know. a, there's a group. There are groups coming from from all those places you just named. Because okay. Tamika Fest is a pretty big event. There's actually already groups coming uh, from yeah. Columbia and Greenville and, and Fayetteville and all, you know, up and down, all the way from Florida, Alabama. Um, actually, um, I just got a call from a guy that's come. Uh, he's bringing a group all the way from Iowa. Um, another mm-hmm. guy, a guy got some people coming in from New York. Um, so there were a lot of people coming in from Indiana, from, from, from my home state. Um, so it, 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 you know, a lot of that, that's, and that's kind of the beauty and the blessing of, you know, traveling and, and, and making all these connections and these relationships and, and particularly mm-hmm. in the South, you know, and, uh, so we are definitely grateful for it all. So, yeah, so, um, definitely, uh, all around that, you know, make an effort to get out there to bring out a group, and then, again, like I stated, you know, spoken word artists and business people, um, you know, any questions, I can put together packages, like I told to Tommy, you know, you know, there's a cost, now, when we bring them to town, understand there's a cost to book the production, so they're going to give you a cost, this is the cost to have us, you have to um, house them, and, um, then, um, you know, you take that and then, you know, you know, look at what's the best venue, how do we fill it up? You build a strategy so that you know that, you know, you can make it back. But if the entire community comes together in one area, as opposed to just this one group and that one group, like if all of Philly get together, or even with Philly, we got the entire Delaware Valley. We get, you know, Delaware, Philly, Jersey, South Jersey, we all get together, we can do it. And, um, since it's theater, I like to, you know, of course I prefer a three-day run, you know, you know, because we really want to get to the point, I, you know, my hope is that if we get this touring, um, I know you want to go out there in L.A., um, who's it, 
Paul Mooney's manager. I'm gonna reach out to exactly. Paul Mooney's manager, but um, that's center stage because you know we already was, were t- were talking, and then fruition mm-hmm. is with us with the um, Urban Tech Fair, and he does the Black Comedy Competition, and you know every major comic has come through there. But he's also a spoken word artist. You'd be surprised as a spoken word artist, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so. You know, there's interest in that Pacific area. I mean, there are people in context. Then I also want to see if it's possible, and this is just me because I always see big things, but National Black Theater, you know, they need some things there. They're trying to save the theater up in New York. It's a lot of credibility to be up there um, at the National Black. So, you know, that's, we're, actually to, we're actually setting up to be part of that um, next year, actually. So we're keeping our fingers crossed on that now. Yeah. No, that's down in North Carolina, the National Black yeah. Theater Festival. Yeah, that's, that's Woody what King does, about. the National Black Theater Festival. No, National Black Theater is a physical building, a black-owned theater, oh, a whole black okay. community founded by Dr. Barbara Antier, and she has a whole method okay. and all. But Dr. Barbara Antier, unfortunately, she passed a few years ago. And the family's been struggling to keep the building. It's worth about probably 10 to 15 mil. And then Dr. Mm. Antier owned about several brownstones. Um, you know Maurice, no, Dr. Maurice Anderson. Momo, he, remember we took um, the Katrina piece? I don't know if you ever came up and did the Katrina oh, piece, but we did it up there. Yeah, up in Harlem, you know. yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. That was an amazing Yeah, year. well, at the time you was there, Barbara Antier was alive. You saw her, if you remember, the gray-haired woman, yeah, but she passed yeah. away suddenly okay. a few years later. So they're struggling to keep it. So I did send this out to Shirley Faison. I'm going to see if I can reach out to Nobby. I sent it to Jackie Jeffries, to um, Deborah and Bird, you know, they're all part of the National Black Family. But, oh, okay. you know, so, you know, like, like I hope, you know, like we get a few spots around the country and then get up, you know, and then do um, something there. Mm-hmm. Um, it just would be good, you know. Um, it just works all the way around. But, you know, yeah. that's my hope. But we are going to be really talking to some people. And then, Tommy, I want to invite you out Tuesday, May 13th. And all you need is your cell phone, and we just need to see your face. But we're going to be doing a video conference called The Other Side of Hip Hop. Um, The Beginnings, Women, and Conscious Hip Hop. And um, definitely Chuck D. Manager will be there. I'm trying to get Chuck D. But they first just gave it to his manager. They thought I didn't want Chuck D., but I want Chuck D. So we're going to see if we can get Chuck D. And he was just on TV one. Again, everybody's talking about, you know, hip-hop, where it was and where it's going, because this is the 40th anniversary for hip-hop. So I definitely want you to um, just to be on that panel and speak, and I'll, you know, get everything out to you. I'm there. I'm going to put it in my phone right now. Okay. And so... You know, you bless us. You always a great lesson. This time you didn't scare anybody. Last time I interviewed you, you scared the other poet. You you dance his hopes. <laughs> no, I don't mean to do that. That's not what I mean to do. That's not what I set out to put on. Oh, that's what we did the socio political satire of Tommy Bottoms yeah. and Darian Duchan. And they yeah. were there was at the same time um Barack was running for president for the first time in the yeah. economic situation. As an economist, 
he put his yeah. two cents in and like <laughs> almost broke the man's heart. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not what I said out the and real quick, just real quick before we close out, Tom, um, Tommy, because we're going to close out, and um, but just share the, the other things that you do. You know, I mean, he's a genius, not just because he's a spoken word artist, and I could just—I'm pretty sure you could tell a little bit by speaking to him. But just, just share. You know, as an economist, as a your authority in certain things. Just you know, well, share. Um, you know, right now, like I said, we um, we we I do do a, a radio show as well. Um, we actually have been off the air for about six months. We're trying to find a new place to do it at, a new actual physical place. Um, but, yeah, I, I host that with a good friend of mine named Shelly Winter, who was actually on CBS radio for quite a while, and we hooked up, and we do a typical kind of morning political talk show where it was, um, you know, lighthearted, but we still talk about serious, you know, politics and things like that. Uh, do some writing. I'm actually, you know, in the process of working on my book right now, uh, which I hope, you know, it, with all things going correctly, you know, this fall, um, I'll have that out. It's actually entitled Black Guilt, and um, and uh, I'm, it's a nonfiction book, um, which I think will, you know, kind of expound, um, expand on, on, you know, like I was speaking about earlier, the, the, a conversation about where we are as black people and, um, you know, and, and having that real dialogue about the reality and not necessarily the perception, you know. And sometimes those things don't necessarily match as far as how we move forward. Um, and, and that's what black guilt is, uh, tackles. Okay. Well, um, uh, Tommy has written on sports and, you know, you're, you know, he's just a reporter. But also, too, Tommy, why don't you guys consider, because I know you have um, you have recordings from all your shows, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, it's the Ugly Truth Radio, uh, excuse me, FM Digital To look at syndication. Excuse me? To look at syndication. Well, you know, anything online is syndicated. <laughs> it's there forever, you know. But if you go to yeah, FMG, but I mean, you know, like formal syndication, where you know there's yeah. services that you know you put, yeah. you know, you put it together, you send it out, and people pick it up because I mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. kind of like the Howard Stern of the, of the black community. Exactly. But um, yeah, so I'm saying is, you know, you know, we, we, we got to get the residual work, income. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get residual income. The, the the reality of it is that the, the other part of Educated Gangster is is creating, we want to create this platform. Uh, like I said, everybody involved with this production is an individual artist and has their individual products and their individual uh, career goals in mind. Um, for mm-hmm. the basis, this is really about, you know, building this platform. So this time next year or whenever it is, when we want to, you know, you want to work on these ex, these other things. When, like my man Malik Salami is a filmmaker, uh, so yeah. when he has a script, you know, it's a lot easier to go get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars now because you, you know, you've got a little bit of net more name recognition. Uh, uh, um, uh, your brand, you know, uh, yeah, really getting the brand, brand out there. Your brand is a lot more recognizable. You're, you know, you have a little bit more credibility as far as building a, a certain project from scratch. 
Um, so that's that's kind of the, the secondary um, plan for 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 what we're trying to do with uh, with educated gangster. First and foremost, we want to create something something you know relevant, you know, and entertaining for the people. But at the same time, you know, we all have these things that we want to do, and if we can, you know build this thing up to a certain level to where now it's a lot easier to pull off these other projects. That's, you know, no one, I don't expect everybody to be married to this for the next 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, But I do, but, you know, if we can get a good, you know, a good buzz and a good following and, 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 and a certain amount of notoriety to where when Tamika wants to, you know, uh, do certain things with Tamika Fest. She has that mm-hmm. ability. You know what I mean? And, and that's, also that's to bring more people the... in. Like, by just connecting exactly. it to Tamika Fest, especially if you got, you know, the guys toured and travel it, you know, that can just, exactly. you know, automatically bring more people. Well, um, you know, this is just an example of how you put something together, you work together. And, and I know, like most people probably listening in are serious people, they do these things. But we do, um, after some point, have to make a conscious decision. We're going to get behind, all get behind and leverage and, you know, push something. And if you do it strategically, you can benefit, you know. If it makes it, if if this is hot and you're part of making it hot, you automatically get to take part of the credit for it. You know, it's just like breaking a record. If, you know, if a re- once a record break, we played that first, you know, you get to, to leverage that. So um, I know sometimes I have found that, you know, um, this is just a time for us to come together, not to be separate or think, well, I do this, I have that, well, I got to play, and I got, you know, it's um, it's just a good strategic move because of the brand of the cast and um, Tommy and his journalism and the various levels that he can reach and um, and get on and his well articulation because you know as a theater person I'm gonna be honest just because mm-hmm. you're a spoken word artist does not make you an actor no, and a lot no. of people don't understand that it doesn't make you a playwright and. That is the biggest issue. I know Tyler did it, but even Tyler, once he got off and going, he went back and learned the craft in and out. You know, he had great ideas and all, but he learned the craft. He learned how to round out those characters. He learned how to to pull it in, and he learned the classics so that when he went to have a conversation, he understood reference points. So we really want to... um, um, you know, just really want to, you know, this is a good production with quality people that are not just spoken word artists, but they understand about how to act, how to write, and how to put on a, a proper production. So we can make close out. So um, Francois, she's going to give a close out, and we just want to thank everybody for coming. She's going to give a close out, and then Tommy, you have 30 seconds and the whole world listening, and we'll catch everyone on the other side. Well, of course, I just want to thank you, Tommy Bottoms, for all that you're doing for the spoken word industry. And I'm so grateful for Jackie always, 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 you know, bringing such a great platform to enlighten all of us on what we can do more and how we can support each other in this journey. There's some good people out here that's doing some good work, and I'm just glad to be connected to you all. I'd like to say to the listeners, make sure you check Jackie out all the time and visit her website 
and, you know, just stay in touch with the Master Griot Project. It is an awesome movement to be a part of. Awesome. All right, Tommy, close us out. Oh, uh, check us out, Educated Gangster 101, May 3rd, Center Stage, uh, Ticketmaster.com, starring myself, Tommy Bottom, uh, Tamika George and me, Harper, Derek Abyss Graham, Malik Salam, Teresa the Songbird, and the infamous Cola Rum, and it is directed by Red Summer. I promise you will not be disappointed. Uh, and hopefully this summer we will be in a city, in your city or near your city, you know. But uh, this is a movement, and we, by the time this time next year, we plan on being in the Fox Theater and from there to Broadway. You know, we really going hard, and we really think we got something And we going to keep, we going to grind with it, you know what I mean? And proud to be part of it, proud to be, you know, with the, the group of people I'm with. May 3rd, Center Stage, Atlanta, Georgia. Educated Gangster 101. My life was a novel yet to be written. And since I can't turn a page, I burn a stage when I'm spitting. Ripping with God-given ability, with the agility of Walter Payton is prime. See, I'm a bad poker hand. See, I'm one of a kind. And my man, Sully, who likes to ride the coopies, man, he hit it on the dime when he told me that revolution will always be considered a crime. So I have no choice but to run against the grain because I am revolution. And that's no metaphor, no silly gimmick. I don't do poetry. I live it. I don't recite it. I spit it. And this game of life was a death match, so best believe I'm in it to win it. And I walk in the spirit of Malcolm X and Nat Turner. I'm a crook and a bookworm with a blunt and a burner. And I told Ted Turner there's a new mouth in the South because when I cock back my tongue, it'll make your brains hang out. See, I didn't master this lyrical misogyny. See, I'm the difference between chaos and harmony. See, I'm a quiet ride that's too cold to hold, so don't even try it. See, I'll put your fat farm on a diet because I'm raising the stakes of this game so high that Viacom can't even buy it. And speaking of the medium, really getting heated with all these black radio and television stations always acting like the community actors, but actually perpetuate the vague mentality that's pulling us backwards. Bastards booby trapped the airways with buffoonery and blackface. And I bet they got a bad taste in their mouth from all that bullshit they be talking. And since I'm up here soapboxing, I might as well go ahead and say it. The National Association for the Advancement of Color People is an outdated organization. I mean, when was the last time somebody called you colored? Man, it's time to face the fact that we live in a drug and thug culture. X and crack and coke and smacking these young cats is fresh off the Similac and already know how to load a gat and flip a pack and become high school dropouts to hit the block because they street game is way tighter than a jump shot. And I'm sorry, but you can't fix no shit like that with a boycott. See, it's time to revolutionize the revolution. And playing politics is organized confusion. And you can't pick up a nine and just start shooting. You got the First pinpointed target, because if you want to battle the beast, you got to be a marksman, because a sharp mind makes a sharp shooter. So with one single thought, you can devise a plot to take over the world with a gat and a laptop computer, because, see, that's revolution, because the primary purpose of people in power is to make sure they maintain their power. So the powers of be will never provide the people with the proper path to power, because that would be a conflict of interest. And since knowledge is power, you've got to be relentless in your pursuit of the truth with the vengeance of a condemned man trying to prove his innocence. That's revolution.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.